0: Welcome to this week's Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm David Campbell.
1: And I'm Don Mills.
0: Don, we had an interesting discussion today. This is the first time in the Insights Podcast that we've actually had a panel discussion. We had Blair Hislip, Jeff Larson, and Catherine Lockhart here to talk about something they're calling the Atlantic Investment Bubble.
1: Yeah, and it's a really good idea. Um, You know, uh, it's not often that we get... uh, collaboration between the four Atlantic provinces, uh, but this is an idea where uh, there's a clear need to stimulate the investment across the region. And, uh, and the idea of a regional equity, equity uh, tax credit is, is what they're proposing. Uh, they're not suggesting eliminating the current uh, equity tax credits that are currently available in each of the four provinces and they're quite different uh in terms of their uh their credits and um, who's eligible but uh, this would be uh, a regional tax uh, credit on top of this for interprovincial investments which is an idea that's not necessarily new but there's a lot of uh, momentum uh, between the by the group uh, behind this idea
0: yeah and i think it's a very interesting concept um you know, the uh, provinces are going to push back a little because the idea is that a Nova Scotia investor invests in a Brunswick company, but gets a tax credit from the Nova Scotia government for doing that. Now, how they propose to do that, the reciprocity and so on, you know, is part of the discussions. But at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to is that I can invest in another Atlantic provinces and still get the same tax credit as if I was investing in a firm, uh, a startup or a, a company Uh, in my own province. And I think it's exciting. And I think it would be a step forward in terms of regional collaboration. And more importantly, it it would open up a larger pool of capital, because I think this is the problem. They were saying that, uh, you know, across the country, there's about 10 times on a per capita basis, the amount of angel investment capital uh, that that gets uh, uh, pumped into startup firms on an annual basis. And so this is uh, an incentive to raise that number in Atlantic Canada and get more uh, of this risk capital in early stage companies uh, that have exciting opportunities for growth.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, there's the very few uh, sort of really good examples of what I call regional cooperation. Um, uh, the best one uh, of course is Atlantic lottery. That's, that's the, that's the gold standard of regional cooperation. And it's been around since 1976, I believe. It's been good for all four provinces, so there is a there is a precedent for working together for the benefit of all, and uh, and I think that this is a another uh, good example of of trying to get the provinces to work together. Uh, as Blair mentioned, I think he's right that the uh, establishment of the Atlantic bubble during the, the pandemic has has brought us closer together uh, than we have ever been before. But the, the one thing that I'd like to point out to the, our listeners is this: is that Uh, the private sector has always been way ahead of the governments when it came when it comes to interprovincial cooperation um and that's because practically you know there's there's no borders for business you know uh my business is a good really good example i did businesses in all four provinces i had offices in three of them you know that's just the nature of this region and it's a special region because of the interconnectedness That there is from a business point of view, from a family point of view, a relationship point of view. You know, we have a very close relationship. And it would be good for government to recognize that there's a lot more appetite for collaboration than they might think.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And on that point, let's get right to our uh, discussion uh, with these three about the Atlantic investment bubble. We are pleased to welcome Blair Hislop to our Insight podcast today. Blair is the co-CEO and co-owner of Mrs. Dunsters, Inc., the largest family-owned and operated bakery in Atlantic Canada, with operations in Sussex, Moncton, Hampton, and Borden in PEI. He's also a member of the New Brunswick Business Council and has been championing the Atlantic Investment Bubble uh, Initiative. Jeff Larson is the head of the Creative Destruction Lab in Halifax. Previously, he was an entrepreneur, banker, lawyer, and senior civil servant in the Nova Scotia government. And Catherine Lockhart is the CEO of Propel, Atlantic Canada's online accelerator supporting technology startups. Before taking the helm of Propel, Catherine was on the management team of a Halifax startup and before that, she's held several senior roles in companies in St. John's, Toronto and Germany. Welcome to the Insights Podcast. We are going to talk today about the Atlantic investment bubble idea and about the potential benefits of a more integrated economy within Atlantic Canada. Don, you're up.
1: Yeah, so we've got uh, three individuals who have been participating in the group uh, that have been advocating for a proposal for a regional equity tax credit. Uh, And I guess, uh, Blair, I'm going to start with you because, uh, you know, we need to tell people what you're up about and uh, what you're trying to do. Uh, Obviously, this uh, regional tax credit is to help accelerate investment and growth across Atlantic Canada. We get that part. Uh, but before we find out about the details of the program, perhaps you can just uh, tell us a little bit about how this group, you know, came to be and uh, maybe uh, who's in it. And 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 we can maybe get each of you to tell us why you got involved. Maybe that's the starting point.
2: Sure. So, you know, Don, the Atlantic Investment Bubble uh, idea or the idea of a, a regional tax credit has been around for a long, long time, like at least 15 years. And, you know, at different points over the last couple of decades, different groups in different Atlantic provinces have tried to get the provinces to align to a common small business investor tax credit program rather than having one program in each province. You know, what we like to say is at the end of the day, we have the population of the city of Mississauga and Atlantic Canada. Right. So to try to attract investment, but have those restricted within each province is restrictive and doesn't allow for the free flow of capital. And people have recognized that for a long time. So what's different this time is that we have a working group that's pan-Atlantic in in each province of the people who've been interested uh, over the years and people who are are newly coming to the table, all working at the same time in the same direction to, to get momentum and move the idea forward. And it seems to be gaining traction on that basis. And I think really one of the key things around it was, you know, when we saw the success of, of the Atlantic bubble uh, in the early days of COVID. And I think that demonstrated to a lot of people that, you know, the impact that we can have as a region if we work together on files where it makes sense to work together. And this is one of them. And, you know, so so to have everybody moving forward at the same time is, is you know, has been a key to the success in in terms of the Atlantic investment bubble idea, an idea that I must say, you know, with all of our conversations, with all of the government officials and all of the politicians and all of the industry folks that are involved, nobody thinks it's a bad idea, right? So here we have an idea that everybody is aligned to as a good idea, that everybody thinks we should move forward. And it's still a real challenge to move the file forward. Um, But that demonstrates to us that we're we're off to a good start.
1: Now, each of you bring a different perspective to the group. Uh, Blair, you, you're you a manufacturer. Um, got a pretty successful business in the bakery sector. Uh, Catherine, you're leading a, a, a startup group, uh, Propel, and... Um, you know, uh, I guess that uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, Jeff, we wanted to bring you in, you, you, you have a couple of roles at uh, Dalhousie. You're involved with the Creative Destruction Lab, which is which is a topic, by the way, that we need to have another podcast on along. Same with Propel, by the way. So each bring a different perspective. But, but how did you get involved in this group? Let's start this time with Catherine. Uh,
3: thanks. Good question, Don. It's a really important um project and as Blair said, it's it's an old problem that that's had a, a couple of kicks at the can, and now it's really time for us all to cross the finish line. And the reason the propel voice makes a lot of sense is we are a regional virtual accelerator. We've been virtual since 2018, but but and we're gonna serve up to a hundred actually we're probably gonna exceed helping a hundred companies across Atlantic Canada this fiscal year. A hundred mm-hmm. entrepreneurs trying to make Atlantic Canada their home where they're gonna raise capital and hire smart people. And what I see every day and what we see at Propel and what our dedicated startup coaches see is a gap in the funding space at the angel level. And, and that's a lot of what this, this roadblock that we're trying to push out of the way. I mean, from Blair's shoes and, and, and Jeff's shoes and my shoes, we're, we're just trying to clear a better path for founders. And, and we really see this gap as significant and if you think about, I'll just use a, a quick analogy. If you think about elementary school and middle school and high school and that very natural education journey, think of non-dilutive funding as elementary school. I want you to think of high school as venture capital funding. <laughs> middle school is like angel capital. And we've just sort of as a region decided, <clears throat> oh, middle school, they'll figure out on their own. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow because what we see as founders We've got great access to non-dilutive funding in our region. And then they try and knock on the venture capital doors who say, you're not quite ready yet. You don't quite have the traction that I need to see to write a check. So they go back and really they're relying on non-dilutive funding more than they, more than it's prepared and designed for. And they sort of ping pong back and forth and putter along, but we've got to fill the middle school gap. We've got to unlock that angel capital level of funding to see to really just help that smooth out the entrepreneurial journey. It's, it's full of enough bumps as it is, but if we can solve this one, I think we'll be really pleased at the end of the day.
1: Thanks, yeah, Jeff. How about I, you? Uh,
4: when I when I first made the leap into uh, entrepreneurship, we started a company. Uh, we were doing first kind of solar hot water, and uh, and we had a small wind turbine we were making, and. We got some investment uh, with the benefit of the Nova Scotia equity tax credit, but then we later brought on some partners from New Brunswick and uh, and there was a real challenge with uh, an irrational kind of sense of, well, geez, the people in Nova Scotia can get the equity tax credit and we can't. And, and we're such a small population, as was said before, that it's not like being in Toronto and, you, you know, you, we have a smaller pool of people we can draw on. And... And so this creates a, a barrier, really, to to the to getting the risk capital you need at the very early stages. As I moved into kind of more policy work, originally with the with the province of Nova Scotia and and with Peter Nicholson, you know, we did some more work around economic growth. Um, and really, economic growth is the driver of our living standards and the tax base, right? So the money that we each have to afford homes and. Uh, do the things we want, and, and the tax base, so the government can afford to, you know, do new schools or healthcare and all of the wonderful things. And and really, economic growth is is productivity times demographics. And while it's encouraging that we're seeing people move to Atlantic Canada, we really have to rely on productivity. And the key mover of productivity is innovation, right? And so we really focused in on this need for innovation-driven growth. And also, if you look at the Kauffman Institute reports and even some ISED reports, almost all net new job growth has been from uh, uh, new companies that are high growth, growing at, say, 20% per year, whether that's Blair's company or, uh, you know, a a, a clean tech um, new invention. It's high growth companies that are creating jobs. So um, in both kind of uh, the One Nova Scotia Coalition, which was the response to the One Nova Scotia report, which... Peter and I helped a bit with uh, this was one of the recommendations and in some work we did to support Henry Damone and and his uh, private sector advisory group to the Atlantic Growth Council. This was one of the uh, recommendations. And one of the challenges is the coordination costs. Right. Um, You know, coordinating across, uh, you know, the political leaders, um, the civil servants, the business community um, to kind of align with with, you know, trying to move forward on something like this. And that's why we haven't quite got there. And what's different about this group, and I give credit to the Brunswick Business Council and Alex's uh, and and uh, some support from Grant Thornton, is we had some leadership in coordinating uh, across the different provinces in a, in a multi-sectoral way, private and public, uh, and trying to do this in a collaborative way. And we really see this as you know a, a turning point, not only in uh, driving opportunity for early stage funding, um, but also demonstrating that we can get together and collaborate across sectors and across the regions to to achieve something. And and that momentum, uh, we believe, is going to be really important for the future.
1: Blair, how about you? Yeah, so I
2: have two perspectives on this. So one, one of the hats that I wear, um, as you know, Don, is, is as the, the president of the Order of the Wallace-McCain Institute. So that's an alumni group for WMI that represents... 500 entrepreneurs across Atlantic Canada that have a billion dollars in sales and 8,000 employees. So a big group of entrepreneurs um, who are disadvantaged, as Catherine has pointed out uh, and Jeff about trying to raise capital at certain stages. And one of the frustrations is we work very collaboratively as regionally. We don't distinguish between New Brunswick companies and Nova Scotia companies and, and Newfoundland companies. And when we go to raise money, we say, look in New Brunswick, Don, if, if, if David invested $100,000 in my company, you'd get a 50% tax break. If you invested 100 grand in my company, you would get nothing because you live in Nova Scotia. And uh, and David happens to live in New Brunswick. And as I said, we have this small population base. So it limits the amount of people in the pool that I can go to, to try to attract capital. Now, if you wanted to invest in, in Jeff's company, Don, you would get a tax break because you're both in Nova Scotia. So that's the way the system works today. And, uh, and so as we come out of um, trying to figure out ways to grow out of this pandemic and to generate growth, we need capital. We need to be able to access capital. And there's a lot of available capital here um, that's artificially kind of restrictive. And, uh, and so that's one of the things. My personal experience is when, when my wife Roz and I bought Mrs. Dunster's seven years ago, you know, we took advantage of this program and we attracted some investment we otherwise wouldn't have been able to get. It facilitated um, the growth of our company. We just built a brand new, forty thousand square foot bakery in Moncton. We've grown from fifty employees to two hundred and fifty employees in that time. Um, you know, and and we don't. By the way, the advantages to that are to the Atlantic Canadian economy, not just the New Brunswick economy. We hire a lot of New Brunswickers, but we buy flour from Nova Scotia, packaging from Nova Scotia. We buy things from PEI. We buy things from Newfoundland. When we sign checks every week, we're not saying, oh, here's our pile of checks for New Brunswick. That's not the way it works. We just buy stuff where we can get it. And most of that stuff comes from Atlantic Canada, but not all from New Brunswick. So the economic impact of our growth is regional. It's just the way it is. It doesn't follow provincial political boundaries, right? And uh, we are one economic region, so it makes sense
1: to do that. David, do you want to take this next part on?
0: Yeah, if you don't mind, Don. So maybe start with Blair. Each of the four provinces already have their own equity tax credits. So in your proposal here, uh, would there be one new regional uh, equity tax credit or would it replace the four provincial or would this be on top of the four provincial?
2: So, the the answer is both. Um, So, what the working group initially, our goal was to get all four provinces to align to one common program with a common set of criteria, with common sectors and, you know, uh, rebate programs and so on. And what, what we quickly discovered was you know, given the complexity of the legislative change required and government policy and so on, that that would be a daunting task that would take years to accomplish. <laughs> and mm-hmm. a and big part of the question is, how do we convince Nova Scotia to give, you know, somebody a tax credit to invest in Mrs. Dunsters, for example, or vice versa? And we believe we can demonstrate that, right? We believe, as I said, when we sign checks, they go, you know, to companies in Nova Scotia and PEI and, and other places. But we don't have the evidence of that. So the, what we decided to do is to look at this as a pilot project and to basically create a program that goes on top of the current investor tax credit programs in each province, which are all different and have different criteria and different rebate rates, and to sort of have an overlying uh, program that would fund the interprovincial component of, uh, of the tax credit. So essentially, this new program would fund the people that are from New Brunswick that are investing in another province and vice versa. And that we would try to get the federal government to support that and provide a backstop essentially to the provinces. And so that's the goal today. And the idea is that over the course of this pilot project, it would be three or four years, we would monitor and measure the metrics of the performance and the results of that so that come three or four years from now we can say to the provincial government here is the economic impact of all of the businesses that grew in new brunswick in your province and vice versa so you should. should therefore have an incentive to you know allow a tax break to somebody from nova scotia investing in mrs dunsters or anybody else because um, you know, your economy grew X amount as a result of those, these, those collective investments. So the idea of the pilot is, you know, to have an overlaying program and have a working group that designs that. And that working group can continue to design their, the alignment underneath of it. So the ultimate goal is one program, the Atlantic Canada, Atlantic Investment Bubble, which is just one program for Atlantic Canadians investing in other Atlantic Canadian companies
1: yeah and uh, I you know I, I looked at the criteria that you're proposing. It seems pretty straightforward and, and in fact, it actually mirrors uh, part of what the provinces are doing in terms of individual tax credits. I believe of I guess it's thirty five percent up to a certain amount and for corporations fifteen percent. I also noticed that uh, the sectors that you're promoting are are really much broader than some of the provinces are currently doing right now. as an example, Nova Scotia has really limited their focus to uh, ocean technology and life sciences. Recently, that, uh, that just came uh, around. I guess Jeff, in the last couple of years, they've really turned their focus around. So it's a bit it's a bit limited. So this would actually uh, that uh, open up the uh, the boundaries a bit. So that would be uh, I think good. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about. Uh, Uh, what the reaction has been from each of the four Atlantic provinces to your proposal. Who wants to take this one on? Catherine.
3: Sure. I'll, I'll take a first stab at it and let the, let the teammates uh, join in. So I think overall, it's been very, very positive. I think um, as Blair mentioned early on, there's been very little pushback. There's been questions around how this is going to work. And, and we really, you know, acknowledge and are empathetic to the actual Work uh, that, that we're hoping to mobilize very soon within an actual working group that combines private and public sector to hash out the details. This is, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, and it will take a lot of heavy lifting within all four governments. Um, so, we've been cer- certainly a few initial conversations. You could see that line of questioning coming up, but very, very quickly went to a positive mindset of how do we push this forward? Um, we had, I think, almost no pushback from any of the premiers specifically. Uh, they're all saying yes. They're all sort of saying, okay, what is the next step? And there's some you know, conversations happening where at the review level and how can we mobilize the working group and continue to get the public um, engagement to keep the momentum up. Um, I'll hand it off. Blair or Jeff, anything to add to that?
2: I'll just give a funny little antidote on that. But, you know, when we initially with conversations with the federal government, they kind of tongue in cheek said, look, if you can get the four Atlantic premiers to agree that this is a priority, come and see us and we'll come to the table, you know, but you've got some work to do first. I think with a hint of cynicism in their voice, um, they challenged us to do that. And and I would say that um, so that became our first mission. Right. Let's get alignment around the four premiers because you know we need that obviously, and uh, and I think we're there now. So you know, in our conversations with uh, you know all of the premiers have engaged their their bureaucracy and the people in finance and economic development and conversations, and everything's moving forward. I would say we are aligned uh, with this as a good idea in the four Atlantic provinces. I think we have, you know, the ability to create the working group Catherine was talking about now on that basis and get everybody to the table. So that's very exciting. Like it that, that you know, indicates, I think, um, as Jeff has said earlier, a lot of potential for uh, regional cooperation going forward. It's it's a bit of a model, right? It's tentative, but we're excited about, you know, um, the other things that we might be able to do this way that, that makes sense for regionally, you know? to help Atlantic Canada compete with the rest of the country and the rest of the world, you know, yep. uh, act as one economic region. Cause we are
4: Jeff. Yeah, I think, um, I, I agree that we we seem to be, uh, uh, hearing the, some, some positive, uh, feedback. Um, but the, there's still a lot of hard work, I'd say. Um, and I think part of it is making sure there's, there's real alignment around, uh, the purpose and the expected outcomes, and you know, anytime you're you're doing something that uh, is is creating a subsidy de facto, you know, the the reason has to be that there's a market failure, and, uh, and and that justifies an intervention, right? But it needs to be an efficient intervention, right? You don't want that intervention to um, to be more costly than the problem. And, and we think we're designing something that makes a lot of sense. So growth oriented uh, early stage companies, whether they're, um, you know, whether they're technology based or they're rural based and and are, you know, manufacturing based like um, Dunsters, you know, they're growth oriented businesses, which are drivers of jobs. Right. And that those those are the positive externalities we get from this in- investment. And, and we see. And the the other thing is uh, on a market failure is the negative externality. So we're seeing that there's underinvestment in early stage capitals, where I think it's a a, Catherine will have the number, but it's 10 or 11 times lower than the national average. Um, So this is significant. And in the type of businesses that we're talking about, these early stages are, are really critical, providing both the capital, the mentorship and the support to get them to the point where they they can start to scale is is super critical. Once you get companies that are are doing what are kind of A and B rounds, you know, they're they're now 10 to 20, 30 million dollar rounds. That's going to be external capital, right? That's going to be people capital from outside the region. But to get companies ready to the point that they can do that, that's what we need to solve, right? And and we need to solve it on the capital, on the mentorship, on the other supports. And and this is a critical part of it. How do we get more capital that's on the sidelines, right? So at CDL, we're fortunate to have people who are, who are professional investors now, like Mark Dobbin and John Risley and Bill Barrett and others. But that's, you know, just a few people, right? We need to expand that network. There's a huge amount of people who can support both with capital and their expertise and their mentorship. And that's what comes with an angel investment. When people make an angel investment, they're not just bringing their money they're bringing their support, their guidance, their experience, the judgment that they've brought to to their business. So um, we think that we have a really compelling value proposition. We think it makes sense from a policy perspective. We think we're designing it to mitigate any unintended consequences. Um, But the reality is we want to work with, um, you know, there's a lot that the bureaucracy, like the civil servants know as well. And they'll be able to say, well, you know, this is an issue we see. And and we're, we want to work with them to say, okay, well, let's let's address that because we have a common vision. We don't want those uh, unintended consequences or challenges to be a reason not to do it. We want to we want to collaborate and find the ways to move forward.
1: So I, I noticed in uh, some of the material that's public that you had a target date of April of this year. <laughs> That's probably ambitious now, I suppose. But uh, what are the, uh, what's the what's the new timetable and what are the obstacles that you have to overcome to get it over the finish line? Who would like to start that one? Blair? Well,
2: I'll, I'll start it because I probably have the least amount to say. And we'll let uh, maybe Jeff is more pragmatic and Catherine about this. But so April is, is a timeline we haven't let go of yet. I guess we modified maybe the expectation. So the expectation is if we can get a working group together, uh, so we've identified in each province industry representatives, because this is an industry-led initiative at the end of the day. And uh, and we're now asking uh, the provincial governments to identify um, you know, government representatives so that we can get a working group together. So the, the goal is to have that group in place by April so that uh, that group can make recommendations uh, aligned, you know, be aligned to recommendations that are presented to each of the provincial uh, jurisdictions on on what this might look like. So we got some alignment to do, right? Like which industries qualify, what's the amount, how is it processed, all of these kinds of things. And, uh, and so now we want to get that work done by April. The sooner we can get this done, the better, because there, there is, you know, so there's a report from the Royal Bank that says that pre-COVID, there's about $30 billion in Canadian savings accounts ready to, at any given time, ready to come into the Canadian economy, and that that number has swelled to over $230 billion during COVID. Mm. And the same thing has happened with venture capitalists and 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 angel investors is that a lot of people park their money for a couple of years. And uh, and so we believe there's a lot of available capital, and at the same time, we have a lot of companies that are coming off defense because of COVID and going into offense and need to grow and they need money, and uh, and so you know the sooner we get this done, the better. The quicker we'll be able to access that that money when things open up, and uh, and get to the business of regrowing the Canadian economy. You know, Jeff mentioned like the national average is over $30 per capita investment uh, from angel investors in companies in Canada. Atlantic Canada, it's like three bucks. It's terrible. And, uh, and so we're at a, a complete disadvantage as a region in this country, um, and we need to open the, the floodgates of, of capital and, and get Atlantic Canadians back to work and get our companies growing again. The only way to solve the, the fiscal challenges coming out of COVID for these provincial jurisdictions is to grow out of it right the only way to recoup the the money that's been spent and the investments that have been made and all for all for good reasons and rebuild the health systems and do the th- education and the things we want to do is that we have to grow the tax base and grow the businesses to be able to do that and get people to work so this is going to be a, a very effective low-cost tool to make that happen
4: yeah i think the oh sorry i'll just mention one thing that um was reflecting on there is uh, the biggest challenge probably right now is just that Omicron has uh, completely overtaken, um, you know, the attention, I think, of, of our government's officials for good reason, right? This was, uh, I think all of us were hoping that we were coming into the new year and would be exclusively focused on growth and opportunities. And having worked in government, I, I, I know how hard you know, both the, the civil servants and, and the elected officials work uh, in a crisis, and you know they are are so focused that um, it getting getting them to the point where they're comfortable starting to work towards um, the future is going to be as big of a challenge as anything. But what I'd say is, I think this provides a, a really important kind of thin edge of the wedge to open that door because um, the best way for us to grow out of this is together Um, and I mean all four provinces and I mean the public sector working with private sector businesses and if this can be part of an impetus and we can have you know some people who can come together and focus some attention on this while we ride through um, this this latest uh, wave I think we'll set some good habits right we'll we'll get into the we'll get used to collaborating and to thinking about growth and being able to hit the ground running uh, uh, going forward. So, you know, that's, I think, our our, our invitation. And, and we really feel strongly that we can leverage the expertise here to get this thing done, demonstrate that progress, and then keep moving.
1: Catherine.
4: I'll just
3: add one comment. Thanks, uh, Don. I, I just had a comment there on the urgency, on the timing, because, yes, April feels like an ambitious um, timeline, but I will... Also point out there's risk to not solving this problem. Yeah. Um, and, and both to what Blair and Jeff are saying, we got to grow our way out of this um, you know, pandemic slump that, that we're, we've all experienced and we're all fatigued by. But and this, this may sp- apply specifically to the tech sector, but the dust has not really settled yet globally on where you can live and work and what the risk of not supporting founders who currently live here and are trying to make uh, make their journey as, as an entrepreneur. And to me, I look at an entrepreneur as a future economic job creating engine, really. And it's, it is pure economic form where they can grow a company, solve a problem, raise capital, hire smart people, in, uh, bring in revenue. Like there's lots of economic um, benefits through the entrepreneurial journey and the more the successful they become, the stronger the benefits are. But if they can't get through that, you know, make that middle school jump because we haven't solved this problem, what happens is a smart individual, let's just pretend I've got an entrepreneur named Sally. She's been hacking away at her journey for a long time. She can't get properly funded. So she says, I'm going to give up. And you know what? In about 20 seconds, she will get a job that's based in Toronto and she will have a beautiful view of the Bay of Fundy. She will pay less for her house and she will make a lot of money in Toronto or Silicon Valley or Texas or anywhere in the globe right now. Anybody can work from anywhere and have a beautiful view of any of our oceans from any of our borders. Mm -hmm. And what we'll end up doing is collecting her property taxes and we've completely lost her brain power. So it's a weird version of a new digital brain drain that I'm very concerned about if we've got smart people here and can't support their entrepreneurial journey.
2: Conversely, if Sally's successful, Mm -hmm. then that same dynamic of her being able to attract top talent to a growing, exciting new company in this part of the world, um, the time has never been better. You know, we've hired at least five people in the last 12 months that have moved to Atlantic Canada without any connection to the region who are really talented and experienced people that want to be part of a company that's doing interesting things and growing and, and changing, you know, their industry. So, um, you know, and there's a lot of talk around startups and so on, but this isn't just about startups. This is, as I said, Mrs. Dunster's a 50 year old company, right, And but it's it's got a new set, set of energy. So same, same rules apply in terms of attracting people here. Boy, can we, g- everybody wants to work for an interesting company that's doing interesting things. If we can create a bunch of those, and then we can also attract people.
0: So I think one of the interesting questions that comes out of this, the $3 versus $30 is, is there just a lack of that kind of risk capital in this region, regardless of what kind of incentive programs are in place? And and why shouldn't this be more of a national focus? Did you give any thought to trying to get the federal government to look at some sort of national uh, small business investor tax credit focused on specific sectors uh, where you could then access angel investment from the rest of the country, or is this really something angel investment that's fundamentally local or fundamentally regional in scope? Uh, who wants to start with that one? Uh,
4: so I can start. Uh, so, uh, Senator Colin Deacon, I think is, uh, is focused on trying to create a national, uh, equity tax credit and I, and I'd applaud him for doing that. And I think it's, uh, it would be a, a, a really interesting thing to do. Um, I think we kind of feel like, um, you know, coordinating the four of us will be at least a good start. And then we can be a model perhaps for uh, for Senator Deacon to bring back to Ottawa uh, uh, to go forward. And, uh, and and it's, you know, at the end of the day, we definitely want to be attracting investors from outside the region as well. I think we're in a better position to do that once we have supported companies in our region to get to the point Where they're demonstrably growth oriented, you know, and 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 so there's a unique role that I think this tax credit and and all of us can do in supporting those companies to get to that stage, Um, because I think people are probably less likely to come from Vancouver or New York um, to look at companies that are are just very early in their journey, um, uh, where they don't have the same kind of connection. And and I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting at, at Creative Destruction Lab, what we found is that a lot of the mentors who first got involved were doing it a, a bit out of, um, you know, wanting to contribute back to their, to their economy and their region. And, and that's fantastic, right? That was a prime motivator. And I think that will still be a prime motivator. And um, people want to, you know, when you've had some success, um, see the benefits of that in your region. What they've found, though, is that um, it's also a great investment and they learn a lot, right? These, are, these, these mentors are, are successful and curious and they get as much out of investing and mentoring as they, as they get out of it, as they put into it. And, you know, so if we can create that sense of I want to get involved to support the growth of the region and then people kind of catch the bug and it spreads and then we have growing and successful companies. Let's bring in all kinds of other funding from outside. Um, but we got to take care of our own house first, I think.
2: Absolutely. And I would say, too, that, you know, think about it. So if we're going to, if I'm going to make a big investment in a company in Connecticut, you know, I'm going to be encouraging them uh, probably on day three to, why don't you set up in, the Atlantic Canada and all the good reasons to do business here. And I'm, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them for me to kind of move their stuff here. But the same thing happens in reverse, right? Uh, you attract Toronto investors or Boston investors. I was working and mentoring a company in Moncton recently that it, you know was attracting investors from Boston. And they had a lot, tremendous amount of pressure to, to move um, their great ideas to Boston, <laughs> where the investors could help them. So so although national investment and so on is, is great, um, I think to get a solid base of local investment behind a business increases the likelihood um, of it staying here in the region and it being important to the region. Nobody from Atlantic Canada investing in Atlantic Canadian company wants it to move out of the region.
3: Yeah. And I'll just a final comment there. Um, you know, Jeff and I were on a call just yesterday talking about this. If you imagine our ecosystem like a pyramid the base of our pyramid in Atlantic Canada is very broad at the bottom. Like we do have a lot of early stage companies and the more stable we make that pyramid and that the base of the pyramid, the more likely we are to see, to see it broaden at the top. So this past year, we've uh, entered unicorn territory for the first time ever. If we wanna see consistent uh, companies hitting that level of valuation, billion dollar valuations, and uh, we've got to make sure that the base is strong, it remains stable, we don't have any gaps in it, which we currently do, and we're not distracted. Um, and we, we stay focused because we have momentum. There's a, a concept that one of my coaches on our Propel team pointed out, I think it's a new Jim Collins book, and they talk about, he talks about the growth flywheel. And every time you grow something, it takes a while for that wheel to actually get momentum so it's moving. And we're moving. We are chugging along. We've had a fantastic 2021. And you can point to a lot of great success stories that have come out of that. But if we get distracted starting brand new things or trying to change who we are or bring in a VC shop that only invests in Series B, well, that's off. That's not what we're talking about. That will distract from the work we've done and potentially destabilize the foundation that we're really trying to really lock and load around. Um, so I think we've got to nurture that and stay focused on it. And that's where I think we'll see better results.
2: You know, it's an important part of what Catherine just said is, is you know, if, if people don't understand the long-term impact of these unicorns, right? So if you look at Radiant 6, for example, and you look at, um, say, well, who cares if Somebody gets rich and gets a billion dollar valuation. If you look at the people that were part of that and the work that they're doing now in the region, like Marcel Lebrun building affordable housing in Fredericton and an innovative new concept that's really a leadership position on that nationally, um, the work that David Alston's done in terms of. You know, entrepreneur in residence for the province and getting them more innovative and, and entrepreneurial and and the entrep- enterprises he did and the work that Jerry Pond continues to do and investment and other things like there is a spin-off effect of these things as those people that were successful in those unicorns go out and do other things and use their superpowers for good in the community. That's, I think underrated in terms of the impact, right? People tend to stop talking after the the unicorn exits, but there's a huge impact after that, that affects um, us regionally that has a very positive effect. That's really exciting.
4: Yeah. Catherine, maybe you can refer to some of those successes we've had. I think they're pretty substantial once you hear them and
3: yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, Verifin has hit a billion dollar valuation. We've had Carbon Cure, Meta Materials, IntroHive, is it Novanix as well? Novanix, um, yeah. Novanix. Novanix. It, yeah.
4: yeah. Four, their market cap is almost $4 billion. This is a spin out from Jeff Don's Tesla Lab, a battery company based out of here. Right. I mean, this is exceptional. You know, all of those companies are billion dollar companies. Um, and when they raise money the, the thing that people it's important to understand is almost all of it goes to hire people right so um you know when people are raising 10 or 15 million those are jobs right that's the the money is all used for that so um you know are we gonna have five or six unicorns you know can we keep that flywheel going right and we need to to work together as a region to, to, to make sure we do.
3: I'll just tell a quick story, Jeff, on that point. I had talked to a founder the other day and she said uh, she's a startup based in Newfoundland and she said she just, she's just she been struggling to hire people because she's a startup and funding funding is a constant challenge. And she had great news and she said, I just got someone from Verafin. And she said, it cost me an arm and a leg, but I've got them. And what that means is that she figured out a way to pay them and she, she's smart, she figured it out. But that person came with incredible experience. That is really key because what we see with founders um, who rely on non-dilutive funding and can't afford to hire experienced smart individuals is that they hire interns. And I'm not throwing shade on interns because they're important. But when you're at a small company and you've got three, four, five, six people, you need experienced people, not someone that requires a lot of sort of handholding and mentorship day to day. You need experienced people to help drive the growth milestone so you can hit the traction required for that next investment. And, and it was such a great story though, because these, you know, intro hive and, and carbon cure, and they're all in slightly different sectors, but there's really good talent. So these mid mid-sized companies, baby unicorns and up to unicorns, the experienced talent will also continue to influence the, the earlier stage companies trying to grow just that experience alone will um, will definitely lend itself to stronger results
1: it's interesting you know we just uh, not that long ago we had a pretty good conversation with the ceo of uh, major drilling and he made a kind of a similar point he said one of the challenges of having public uh, publicly traded companies in our region is that we don't have a a lot of talent to support public traded companies you need to have you have to have to develop that pool of resources to be able to uh, support more publicly trade companies. And th- I hadn't thought about it until you re- mentioned it. Uh, David, uh, we, we, we thought that was a pretty uh, good insight into the challenges that we face in this region. And Catherine, you just kind of said the same thing in a different way, didn't you? That yeah. we need to, need to develop the talent here. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to have to track a talent from elsewhere, but uh, we're, you can see the difference now. I, you, everywhere you look, you can see the difference because this region is now on the map in a way that it has not been before i don't know if it's covid i don't know if people are looking at us differently now than they did before but we are now being looked at and uh you know blair you you you, you pointed it out like you know you you're hiring people who, who 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 came here for the opportunity <laughs> yep. imagine coming here for the opportunity not because your wife was from here like you know, right. it's a completely different motivation that's 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 a sign of a big change isn't it
2: yeah yeah definitely i mean we just hired a master baker our first master there are no master, there are very few master bakers in Atlantic canada um so you know it is a certification uh out of ontario who moved his family and three kids here and has no connection to the region and is just done with toronto you know and uh so that's you know we can get that talent now like before you know you'd have to create that in-house which we try to do but it's it's takes years and years and years to do that. Right. And uh, and so, you know, that's awesome. And and the other thing, though, you know, again, it's not just startups or public companies, but companies that are growing like Mrs. Dunsters for a while was growing at 35 percent a year. And the that's people nice. that you need to manage a company that's growing at 35 percent a year is different than the people you need uh, in a company that's not growing uh, or yep. going the other way. So you know, at the end of the day, the more companies, you know, the same rule applies to me. I'm excited to work in an ecosystem where there's a whole bunch of companies where people have experience managing growth and and transition and moving a company from this size to a bigger size to a bigger size again, and uh, and and that is a skill set in its own right. And uh, you know, when we interview people. You know, one of the questions Rosin asks is that either scares the hell out of you or excites you, you know, which is it? And uh, because we don't want people that aren't excited by that because it can be very daunting and challenging. You don't, how do you figure out how to grow 35% year over year over year? So the more companies we have doing that, the more people we have with experience managing that, like the spin off effects are great. And I'll uh, reiterate, you know, this isn't just for startups. This is, is companies that want to grow. Nobody's trying to attract money if they don't want to grow. So, you know, that's the primary criteria, right? I need money because I have the opportunity to grow 35%, 40 50%. And, uh, and that's the kind of people that are going to take advantage of this
4: program.
1: Yeah, Jeff, you wanted to add something?
4: Yeah, just, you know, reflecting on your point about uh, the region being on the map and, uh, you know, I think Catherine, you went to a move to Boston to go to some fancy school that starts with an H and ends with an <laughs> R. Uh, I was in Toronto right. for a while, and and both of us chose to move back home, right? And you know, there's uh, I, I like to think that for Atlantic Canada, it's like a, it's like the key slogan: those who like it like it a lot. But I think what we're realizing is even more people like it, and you know, this combination of great universities, having some restaurants, easy access to the outdoors, you know, if you want to go and do things. It really is this livable environment and not everybody wants that, but there's a huge amount of talent that does want it, right? And they've felt constrained with having feeling like they had to be in Toronto to be successful or in New York or in the Valley. And and that's and that's gone now and the other assets we have you know, that make this livable in some place that is such an advantage. And if you layer on that growth opportunities, right. And, you know, I I think this is kind of like a 10 year overnight success story, our our ecosystem that we've been to, you know, because people have been working on it for a while and we're kind of getting to a bit of a tipping point, I think, where it's, we believe some of the hype that we were saying for a while um, but it's really important. And, and the universities are a core part of that. Um, the talent who like this kind of environment, having good restaurants, having these types of things, but you need the growth opportunities. And that's that's what we're really here to talk about.
1: Uh, Catherine, just before you jump in, I, I don't want to make a point because in, in during my career, we spent a long time trying to figure out how we could attract people here to each of the provinces. I so worked with a you know the, the economic development departments, and they they always came back to, oh well, our lifestyle here is so much better than anywhere else. I kept saying that's only good if you have a job. Yeah. If you don't have a job, the lifestyle really doesn't count for a whole lot. <laughs> now we've flipped that proposition completely around. Now we have an opportunity plus a great lifestyle. It's unbeatable. Yeah. It's completely unbeatable. Catherine, sorry.
3: No, it, and it, that strengthens the point I was going to make, Don. And, and it, this wasn't my line in particular, but Jeff and I are in a committee and, and we've been brainstorming. How do we continue to articulate that this is a livable, connected, collaborative ecosystem to, to move to, to invest in? And somebody said it's more life with less hassle. And I love mm-hmm. that because it takes out traffic and it takes out expensive rent of tiny apartments, uh, puts you close to trails and, and great seafood. Um, And and we do see that. Jeff's point around the universities is an important one. We see in our, in Propel, we see 50% of our companies are founded by new Canadians. And the universities for, in a large part, were their front door to Atlantic Canada. So that's an important relationship, important part of the ecosystem from a talent perspective. One, I know that, that Jeff works on specifically at the sort of master's, Ph.D., uh, level to get this really smart, incredibly talented people. How do we commercialize the work they're doing and get it to be sort of a churning economic engine in itself? Um, you know, we've got 42% women founders within our program. So there's a diversity and inclusion lens that makes this an attractive ecosystem to move to. I've got a company from um, a founder from Morocco, who said, I need a better life. He ended up in PEI. He has no connections to the region, and he's building his uh, fintech company without skipping a beat. Mm-hmm. I have one from Toronto who moved to PEI, bought a one-way ticket because he was like, it's too beautiful to leave. And I just heard yesterday, he's made his first local hires. And he's do- he has fantastic revenue. He hasn't needed to raise money, but he's using his customer-driven revenue to hire locally. And those are the stories you want to hear. Like people are They love the place. We all agree on that. There's no, you know, we all sound like broken records that we love, but, but it it is a fantastic place to move to and to work in.
4: And I think that um, that connected and collaborative is really important because there's a great strategy book by a professor at the university of Oxford called Lawrence Friedman, where at the beginning, this was before uh, Malcolm Gladwell picked up on the idea, but it talks about military history and anytime a small region has defeated a large reason, region. He said, "It's not, it's not, um, uh, uh, you know, a matter of them going it alone. It's, it's not the the typical myth, uh, and, and and it's only when they collaborate. And that we really have to understand. That's why we're pushing this as a collaborative effort, right? There's no David versus Goliath. It's when you collaborate, a bunch of David and Leslies and so on come together, we can win." Right. And that's the attitude we need. We have a livable place, but we got to win and we're going to win by collaborating.
0: So So,
1: we're almost uh, out of time. David, we have more questions than we have time. Maybe we could just end with a final question.
0: Yeah, I just well, I'm going to ask about the rivalry and then you can ask about optimism. How's that? I'll meet you in the middle, Uh, because (laughs) I do think that's an important question. (laughs) Historically, the four Atlantic Canadian provinces at a political level haven't worked that well together. There's been some efforts around that, but for example, B.C. and Alberta have a free trade agreement. They actually have worked very hard to reduce the barriers to business regulation, harmonization, and so on. We see some of that here, but not as much. And I always thought it was because there was this worry that if governments work well together, uh, it's a prelude to merging the four and, of course, what provincial government wants to disappear uh i just wanted to ask you about that just in in our remaining moments here is is do you think this kind of collaboration one of the restriction particularly at the bureaucratic level one of the worries is if we start merging and harmonizing our tax credit programs and others then there'll be this impetus toward merging and is that a barrier uh, to getting uh, more open collaboration between uh, at the governmental level across the four provinces. Who wants to take that on?
2: I'd love to take that. Um, uh, I, I think that, so I've never sort of been involved in this kind of policy level discussions and things before, right? An entrepreneur heads down trying to grow our business and and work with other entrepreneurs. So this is kind of new to me. So I, I that would have been my perception before I get into to all these conversations. I would say that the, the problem is that you have to be, you know, it has the, the initiative or whatever you're trying to do has to be a priority in each province at the same time <laughs> because everybody's so busy. Right. And what I've discovered is is that nobody feels threatened by it. Everybody thinks it's a good idea. The difference is, I think, is that this time it's industry led. So and the industry is aligned. So what we're doing is we're going to all four provinces at the same time, and we're kind of saying, "You said this is important, and we're moving that file forward." And and you know, and we're trying to keep everything balanced as we move that forward. That is incredibly challenging, um, but effective. So I think that it's it's not, you know, if I look back now, I think it's probably not that Nova Scotia doesn't want to do it New Brunswick wants to do or PEI doesn't want to do it if Nova Scotia. It's not that at all. I think it's just a matter of how do you, you know, if everybody has their top 10 priorities, how do you get one priority on all four provincial lists at the same time <laughs> and move it forward? I think the only way to do that, regardless of what you're trying to do, whether it's in healthcare or business or tax credits or whatever, is to have an industry-led initiative where industry and business or you know, educators or whatever it is we're trying to change kind of says, you know, we'll take charge of this as a region and we'll develop the agenda and you know the work Alex Sablan has done the Brunswick Business Council is is been paramount in keeping that sort of balance going forward. So I don't think that's a real thing. I, I don't. I think it's it's a question of who's why you know who's going to provide leadership over the idea. And I don't think that's ever going to come from one province necessarily to the other provinces. I think it's going to be In all cases, industry led. And I think that's a key takeaway from this whole initiative.
0: Okay, so last question, and I just want a one sentence answer from each of you. Are you more or less optimistic today about the future of the region? Uh, Start with you, Catherine. One
3: sentence. One sentence. Definitely, definitely more optimistic. And my board should fire me if I'm not optimistic working in the space we do. Because because of what I see every day with our 100 companies, it's it, I'm very inspired.
0: Jeff, you've been around a long time. More <laughs> or less optimistic today about our future than you were 10 years ago?
4: Not only are, is it not half empty, half empty the glass, but we're, we're, we're overflowing now with opportunity. The question is, are we gonna be able to capture it by collaborating and working together
0: and having a growth op- mind mindset? Blair, uh, more optimistic or less optimistic today?
2: I think a tipping point for Atlantic Canada was uh, the, the Atlantic bubble created around COVID and everybody saw the potential. Um, that could happen in this region, and the opportunity if we all work together, and that's where the idea to coin this the Atlantic investment bubble came from. And I think we could apply that to lots of other things, and and so I'm very optimistic uh, on that. I think that showed a lot of people uh, the impact we could have, and inspired uh, people up in a lot of different ways. So, absolutely.
0: thanks for joining us today on the Insights Podcast. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the latest
1: episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legier helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.